Heavenly Father, you are good to us and gracious to us. Um, if we began to talk about all the ways you take care of us, we'd be here all day. I've certainly felt it this week. Lord, we're grateful for this season of the year and for friends who uh, encourage us and pray for us. We've talked about it. With this being kind of our last Sunday school Sunday of the year, as I reflect, I think of all the things that this family has been through this year. Loss of loved ones. Birth of new ones. Some of those in a struggle, and now they're coming through that. Others of us who have been diagnosed with something that pretty well rocked our world, and some of us that have gone through that and kind of come through on the other side. Lord, in all of these things, we have found you to be completely 100% faithful. Lord, you're not 99 and 44% 100% faithful. You're 100% faithful. And it causes us to have courage to go on and to share life with one another. Thank you that we get to do that in the context of this little family of faith. Thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, we're able to gather in a warm place, a safe place today, and celebrate the birth of your son. Lord, would you teach us something from your word today? We thank you for the food that was set before us. We thank you for Jim and Fonda who made all that happen. We thank you for time to reflect around good things. And we thank you for this little baby in a manger. We'll celebrate him today and worship him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, the two kids in red back here, Jim and Fonda, wave your hands. They got up really early and started baking bagels and, and muffins and Thank you so much, guys. I caught I caught him last week, and I said, "Can we do? Can we do kind of some breakfast next week?" And it was like, "No, we can't decide good because you know there's so many changes." And I thought that's one thing we shouldn't change. So, thanks for doing that. It was we had to kind of move some things around to make that happen. And uh, okay, let's talk about uh, Christmas. I want you to go with me to Luke two. That's where we're going to be today, and um, I want to give you some things to think about. Um, now, guys, I want to give you some advice, and ladies, I want to give you some advice. Now, if you're if you're like some and haven't bought um, all your Christmas presents yet, let me give you a few things, girls, that your husband does not want. Okay, all right. Some things that your husband probably doesn't want. I'm guessing a tie. He's got plenty of those, so leave that one off the list. He doesn't need teddy bear pajamas. Okay. Um, now, whether or not you think I need it or not, I don't need a pair of nose and ear hair trimmers, okay? Uh, you may think I need it, but no. Um, uh, I don't need a Bath and Body Works gift basket, okay? I, all right. Now, now, girls, so, so that you don't get left out, um, I saw another list here. Let me see. It's guys, this is probably better advice for you and me, what not to get your girl. Probably don't get her a car wash kit, okay? Um, 
a case of motor oil, probably not. Um, 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 Rambo trilogy on DVD, probably not for the girls. Not a good idea. Um, don't um, a, a, a chainsaw, probably not for your girl. That, that you know, maybe for you, but not for your girl. Uh, and then um, here's one that I'm sure she doesn't want is uh, for Christmas. It's a three-year membership to Weight Watchers. You probably don't need to do that. So. <clears throat> Now, I could use that, but I won't do that for my girl. Okay, now, I've had so much fun this week um, being able to finally, after this, what seems like an interminable time, be able to say, hey, it's a boy. Uh, and, and thank you for celebrating with us so, so much of that this week. Isn't it a good thing that uh, when you can share Good, good news. Of course, this was great news for us and for our family. Um, and the truth is that in our world, news travels really, really fast. Um, I, I was in a, a little bit of a limbo on Wednesday uh, morning because I had heard we've got a boy. Now, I want, I want to talk to you a little bit about how all this got, got conveyed, okay? I get a picture mid-morning. I'm in between two meetings, all right? I get a picture by text of Finn. And I, it was short on words. I can't remember even what it said. It just had his name, didn't it? So, hey, Finnegan Ellis Seton has arrived. That was it. And a picture by text. Can you imagine that 30 years ago, having gotten that word that quickly and a picture? Um, for the rest of the morning and into the afternoon, I was waiting to see this announcement on Facebook, on some kind of social media, because I've been told uh, I'm not allowed to talk about it until they put it on social media. Okay, so I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And it was funny because I am looking at this kid's picture on the monitor in my office, sobbing my head off. And one of the staff walks in and says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. But I couldn't talk about it, okay? Uh, isn't it funny how, and so after that, I was able to send a note to you and, and to the guys of Bible study and, and uh, happy to do that. Now, let's talk about the best birth announcement ever. And I want to talk today from Luke 2 about how the announcement of his birth was conveyed. It was much, in some ways, it was much slower. And in some ways, it was much faster. Uh, we're going to kind of deal with that today. Now. Read 8 down through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Okay, you've heard it all your life, I bet. 
if you're recently come to faith, maybe you haven't heard this as much as some of us in the room have. Uh, I was tempted today to bring my new King, uh, my, uh, King James Bible because I just love to hear this story in King, J King James English. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute. But if you look at verse 8, this whole story begins with a really placid, peaceful scene. Now, uh, what we need to know about in the context of history uh, is um, these shepherds who were living um, outside and, and outside of Bethlehem were just doing their job. They were watching sheep. What you also need to know is that in terms of history, Augustus Caesar, Luke tells us, was, um, was Caesar at the time. He was kind of leader of the known world, the, what he felt to be the most powerful man in the world. And he ushered in during his reign, which was from several years, if you want the dates, I'll give them to you, uh, from several years before Jesus' birth. Uh, he, he became Caesar about 27 B.C., but from our old Roman calendar until about AD 14. So we know that he was Caesar at the time of Jesus' birth. How else do we know that? Bible tells us. Luke identifies who's the Caesar, who's the governor. He kind of helps us place this thing in a historical perspective. So, but what one of the things that, that Caesar did, that Augustus Caesar did when he uh, kind of uh, um, took power, is he kind of took care of a lot of, vanquished a lot of Rome's enemies. And they were living in a time that is known, if you remember your world civ class, uh, they're living in a time called the Pax Romana. You ever heard that? The peace of Rome. The Pax Romana. What's important to us about that is that when the Savior was born, it was a time of relative peace throughout kind of the known world. And that really aided, um, that aided the spread of the gospel um, um, beyond um, kind of what it would have been in years past. So, uh, it's interesting um, uh, when you hear, maybe we'll hear it in church today. I, don't, I haven't looked at the, the music set today, depending on where you are. But I bet sometime this week you'll hear, Oh, Holy Night. It was a night. Okay, so we're good there. One daytime is a night. It's identified here. But it was a scene of tranquility. You can write that, write that word in there. Or you can write the word peace in there. Uh, there couldn't have been a more kind of idyllic scene. You've got a bunch of shepherds doing their job. They're uh, outside, kind of, they've got the sheep down for the night. They're resting, and um, their tranquility is disturbed by whom? An angel. Now, I did some reading this week. Gabriel has been really busy, right? We saw him come to Elizabeth and Zechariah. He, he visited both Mary and Joseph. So we know that Gabriel is busy. We also know that he's kind of around. Was this Gabriel? What do you think? It doesn't tell us, does it? It, it? it just says an angel of the Lord. It doesn't say it was Gabriel. In other places he's identified. That would almost make me wonder if it's not Gabriel. But maybe in this point Luke just didn't find that an important detail. But when he shows up, what happens? The glory, the glory of the Lord shone round about him. So you've got to kind of catch this. Whatever he looked like, and he was probably nine feet tall. I've got, I got to think, of, Angel's a big guy, right? Whatever he, whenever he showed up, 
The glory of the Lord came with him. So that what you need to think of is light. It was dark, probably. It was at nighttime. And when he showed up, light shone up around, around about him. From old King James English. So the reaction to that, which was wonder, obviously. And by the way, don't lose the sense of wonder this season of the year. The, the reaction to that on the part of the shepherds who were kind of drowsily taking care of their sheep, what was their reaction? Yeah, I love that. They were afraid. Uh, Cindy said, and uh, King James English, they were sore afraid. Yeah, my, my little girl, when she was two, memorized this section of scripture, and she would get to that. I don't guess she knew what the word sore meant at that point, and she would say, and they were so afraid. Yeah, yeah. I can remember that from when, when Heather was two. Um, so and they were they were sore afraid. It meant they were really troubled. Isn't it interesting that when angels show up, people get a little nervous. It's happened several times in this story. That's kind of the natural reaction. Um, um, I think it's interesting. Does an angel always have to say their first words out of their mouth? The first words out of their mouth typically are what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. That tells you that they must be pretty fearsome. They're there's another discussion going on at this table, I can tell. Joseph's brothers. What about Joseph's brothers? Oh, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Yeah, never mind. He's, he's, shift, he's jumped tracks on us. Okay, that's all right. Now, but isn't it interesting that no angel ever shows up without saying, hey, don't be afraid first. That tells you that they were pretty fearsome individuals. Now, so, the truth is that by the time we get to verse 10, the shepherds need to neither fear the message nor the messenger. I reference Genesis 19. That, that reference is angels involved in uh, helping Lot and his family get away from um, Sodom and Gomorrah before it's destroyed. There was a lot of need to be fearful there. That was all bad news. The, the news here is going to be uh, good news, nothing but good news. No uh, judgment, no condemnation, only good news. They didn't need to fear the message nor the messenger. Now, let me read to you uh, verse 11 from the New American Standard. Here's what it says. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. I'm sorry, wrong chapter. There was an angel in that one too. Get on the right page, it'd be helpful. Okay. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, that's a really newsy verse. All right, a really newsy verse. Uh, the baby is still less than 24 hours old. I was asked by some of you this morning, what did he weigh? You know, eight, seven. He was a big boy. What did he weigh? Not Jesus, but Finn. Uh, don't know anything about that. That's not in here. How long was he? 20 inches, I think, something like that. Okay, I've been asked all that this week. Sometimes I had that news. Sometimes I didn't have that news. But in, in this case, there's lots of news in verse 11 here. Okay, how was he born? Okay, he was, um, it, the, or how did he come to the, to the earth? Well, he was born. That's kind of a, an important thing. Um, Steve, since you're there, I'm going to ask you to go to John 7, 4, uh, 7 and read 41 and 42 in a minute. And then hand your Bible over to Miss Cindy. And she's going to read Matthew 2, 4 in just a minute, okay? 
Now, so, um, um, how? Well, he was born. When? It answers when there. What does it say? Today. Okay? So, they don't need to wonder, okay, he's getting ready to be born, or, you know, a couple of days ago, or last month. Today, he was born. Okay? It says where? Where? City of David. Now, that's, that brings up a little bit of controversy. When you think, if, if somebody said to you today, I'm going to take a vacation to the city of David, where would you be going? You'd probably be going to Jerusalem. Because it's also called the city of David. Okay? Uh, and it, there's right, rightfully so, because he conquered Jerusalem. Uh, Steve, read, uh, what did I get? Luke, uh, John 7, verse 41 and 42. Others said he is the Christ. Still others ask, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? David's town, okay, the city of David, Jerusalem, but David's town is Bethlehem. That's where his family came from. That's where Father Jesse set up shop, and, uh, and they were sheep herders too. You remember David, when he was chosen... In 1 Samuel 16, when he was chosen from among his brothers, he was taking care of sheep. He, was, he might have been on the same hillside as these guys were. I find that kind of intriguing. Uh, Cindy, read from Matthew 4. What did I tell you? 2-4? Yeah. I've got King James Version. Okay? I love it. Okay. This is King James. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Okay, now that in context, it is Herod talking, I think, and he's asking his satraps, his prophets, his uh, minions, where's the child supposed to be born? By the way, this is during the visit of the Magi, and, the, and all of these guys come back with a, like a rifle shot and say he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Now, the, the, the controversy that Steve was reading about has to do with uh, when Jesus is, is involved in ministry, they start saying, wait a minute, this guy can't be the Messiah. He's from Galilee. Everybody knows the Messiah is to come from where? Bethlehem. Shows you how uninformed those folks were, right? You and I know, they didn't know because of details like this. So where was he born? He was born in David's town, in the city of David, in David's town here, which is a reference here, at least at this point, to Bethlehem, okay? Now, um, who? There's some who involved here. There's a baby that's been born, but he's identified. Who's it say he is? He's a savior. Really important word used there in this very action-packed verse. There has been born for you a savior who is whom? Uses the word Messiah, the Christ, that's the Greek word for Messiah, which is another kind of idea for the deliverer, the Savior. But then it goes on to say, Christ, comma, who? The Lord, capital L, Lord. The Son of God, he's identified here, not as some other prophet, not as some other ruler, or not just another judge. They were looking for all of those things. But he would not be those. He would be a king. 
He would be the king. This is clearly not an ordinary baby. Now, in order to find him, because they're going to want to find him, in order to find him, in chapter 13, chapter 12, I'm sorry, they give, the angel says, here's some signs. Here's how you're going to know it's him. There'll be other babies in Bethlehem. So what, how are you going to find this one? What's the sign he gives them? Wrapped in swaddling clothes. I love that, Cindy, that's great. King James English. And you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You've heard that uh, all your lives, most of us. And so the idea there is the sign, that's what you can put there in verse in the blank by verse 12, it offers clues to his identity and I believe even to his uh, leadership style. To be swaddled is standard care for an infant. Even then. What does it mean to swaddle? Be wrapped with cloths or clothes. He was swaddled. Standard care for a newborn. To be placed in a feeding trough was not. All right? Um, and so, again, I asked the question, is this an ordinary baby? No. Is it a, an ordinary king? No. You and I would look for different clothes for a king. We would look for a different place for him to be laid, a different kind of a mode of all those things. There's nothing royal about this birthplace and this birth site that they're going to find. There's nothing royal about it. In fact, I began to think this week, um, they would have been looking for, I, I'm just thinking, they would have been looking for a child with a crown on his head, I guess, I don't know. Something royal. Uh, in, in a lot of the pictures you and I saw as kids, uh, paintings, from ancient paintings, when, when um, uh, this scene is painted, what do you see around the infant's head? Typically a halo. Uh, isn't it interesting that the angel says to the shepherds, don't look for a halo, don't look for a crown. There will be nothing royal in this setting except the baby himself. <laughs> this is no ordinary child. What will this tell them, not only about uh, how he was born? By the way, the word manger that we pulled into English is a French word, actually, that just means to eat. <laughs> you know? Interesting. Um, uh, there's nothing special about this. This is a humble birth. He will be a humble king. Now, they give all this detail, the angels uh, on this silent night, right? And on thir in verse 13, the night becomes anything but silent. The one angel that was there, surrounded by the glory of God, this light, heavenly light, is now joined by what I would call an army of his friends. Cindy, can I get you to run over to Psalm 148 and read verse 2? Right in the middle of our Bible, Psalm 148 verse 2. It's going to describe this army. There's an army here that joins this. One angel wasn't enough for this announcement, okay? Um, there was this one impressive light-bearing angel. But he was, one of them wasn't enough. 148.2 in Psalms is going to describe an army. You got to think about this now. It wasn't just one. And it wasn't just, you know, typically when we do this uh, in, the, in the 
the living Bible story, we have a half a dozen angels or maybe three. We're talking about uncountable angels. On the hillside, surrounding them, in the, lighting up the night sky. And what are they doing? Singing. Something like you've never heard before. Glory to God in the highest. This is that wonderful song that is carried over. We still sing it. We probably will sing it today. You will sing it certainly during this um, season of the year. It's, it's called in Latin, the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. And on earth peace among men whom he, with whom he is pleased. So it begins to sing that. So it's interesting here that, that angels joined now by this army of angels. And what the angels have longed to look into is now coming to pass. By the way, I want you to go with me to everybody. Go with me to 1 Peter. So that's almost at the end of your New Testament. To the right quite a bit. You get to Revelation, you've gone a little far. 1 Peter 2. Sorry, 1 Peter 1. What I want you to think about, and this, this occurred to me years ago, one of the things I love about the Bible story, and certainly about the story of the gospel that is beginning here, is the Bible story, this story doesn't begin with once upon a time. What does that usually indicate? A fairy tale. This is no fairy tale. This story continues all the way through it and begins with, and it came to pass... That's an entirely different thought. So it came to pass. What the angels have longed to look for, look into, is come to pass. Listen to what Peter says. I love what he, I just missed this before. But listen to what he says. We're going to go down to verse 10 in the first chapter of 1 Peter. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you have made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things, catch this last phrase, things into which angels long to look. What you've got to catch here is the angels who have celebrated and worshipped the prince of heaven for all eternity now know that he's coming to earth and he's here. There is no way they can be silent about that. Isn't it interesting? They've looked into it. They get it. They've had the the message peeled back just a little bit and they realize that the Savior has been born. I love it, Rhonda. Every time we sing that little song, I think we sang it last week, that begins with, he is here. Messiah has been born. They're not gonna sing it quietly. It's too wonderful for that. Do you know what's going on? Can you fathom what's happening here? Those angels just couldn't stay silent. This is the prince of heaven. And they can't contain it. Now, let's look at a couple more verses. Go down to verse 15. <clears throat> Back in Luke 2. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened to us the Lord has made known to us. 
So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now, first of all, we got to say, what's their intent? What their intent is to head there now. Let's go now. There's no need to confirm where he is. They've got that all figured out. He's in Bethlehem. Let's go now. And my question is, wouldn't you? If the angels had just left, the sky is still reverberating with noise from heaven. They looked at each other and said, what are we going to do now? Well, you know what we're going to do. We're going to Bethlehem. What do we do with the sheep? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. We got to go check this out. So they leave, and the Bible says they leave in a hurry. They wasted no time to do this. Now, we got to think about something here, I think. Stay with me for just a second. When they get there, you got to see this moment. They, they walk to the entrance of a cave or wherever the baby was. There's been all kinds of conjecture over that, where the stable was, where this cave was or whatever. And they walk in and they see this little couple with a tiny boy swaddled in a feed trough. And they look at each other and say, this is it. And as they walk in, they begin to tell what just happened to them. Guys, I hate to disturb you, but I got to tell you what's going on here. We had an angel come to us while we were watching over our flocks by night. Okay? And the angel said that we would find him here. And by the way, if that wasn't enough, a bunch of the angel's buddies showed up. I mean like a gazillion angels showed up. And they just said, this is a baby like none other. You better go check him out. As they were telling that story, what you've got to realize, as they were talking about the angel, don't you know that Mary looked at Joseph and said, hmm, he's been busy, hasn't he? And don't you know that Joseph looked back at Mary and said, I wonder if that was our angel. And, and then when he, they began to talk about the multitude, I, I'm sure they thought, well, I'm sure Gabriel was in that group at least. And I begin, I believe right there, beginning in verse 15 and 16, uh, these men, crusty as they were, they began to do what only the mom and dad had done so far. And you got to put this in perspective. I saw pictures, lots of pictures of a little boy this week that made me weep because I was just so glad he was here. But what you got to understand is different about these parents is they began what the shepherds took up. They began appropriately to worship a baby. They worshiped. Is it appropriate for the shepherds to come and bow down and worship a baby? It is if it's this one. It is if it's this one. They began to worship. Now, let me finish the story. I'm going to go to verse 17. <clears throat> Actually, Cindy, would you read 17 down through 20? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about <clears throat> this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. 
go to 17 and 18, and then jump down to 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, these first heralds of the gospel, the gospel was put in the mouths of shepherds. Shepherds weren't considered very smart. The gospel was put first in their mouths. And what they could not help but do is to share it. Does it hold them back that they don't have the entire gospel? Well, now, when I say that, you got to know they don't know the entire gospel, do they? What have they got missing? They don't know about his life. They don't know about his teachings. They don't know about his death. They don't know about his resurrection. They just know the Savior has been born. And they share that gospel that good news with everybody. And I'm going to predict they shared that message with everybody they met for the rest of their lives. How about you? It's interesting. Ron has a co-worker that... Um, you have anybody in your family or anybody in your, in your life or your world, maybe your neighborhood or at work, that's just a little bit awkward? Kind of hard to love and appreciate and most people around them don't everybody does okay now don't look at somebody if it's that person in the room okay but there's one of those at the base the clinic just struggles to have friends but she's got one and she took her little bag of homemade cookies this week And it made all the difference, didn't it? You remembered me. In that moment, with, you know, some flour and sugar and whatever else you put in those things. I don't know. They taste to me like they got crack in them, but okay. <laughs> in that moment, the gospel was shared at an appropriate time. What are you, what are you how are you sharing this message? I gotta challenge you. They couldn't wait to talk about it, and they talked about it the rest of their lives. Look at verse 19, and we'll end right here. But Mary treasured all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. I wonder what things. She began to ponder the angels saying, You're gonna be favored to being the mother of the Son of the Most High. She pondered for the rest of her life that special three months time she had with Elizabeth leading up to the birth of John. We talked about that last week. Uh, don't you know she pondered when she got back to Nazareth and was visibly pregnant? Don't you know she pondered for the rest of their, her life the whispers of the people, the catcalls, don't you know that she pondered for the rest of her life the long trip from Galilee, 35 miles or so, down to Bethlehem? Don't you know she pondered the rest of her life the smelly stable? Don't you know she pondered these really smelly shepherds who somehow knew about her baby? She gathered all of these things into the treasure chest of her heart 
and she hung on to him for the rest of her life. And on her deathbed, she was still pondering these things. I read a book uh, a few months ago. Rhonda's reading it now. It's Shauna Nequist, who is uh, Bill Heibel's daughter, one of my favorite young authors. And she writes about the song, Oh Holy Night. Okay, Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Okay, you know the song. Sung it a thousand times, right? I think it's taken me, she says, almost 40 years to actually feel the worth of my soul. All of a sudden, the words from that carol I've sung a thousand times stop me in my tracks. He appears and the soul felt its worth. Jesus is born, love comes down from heaven in a human form, and the soul feels its worth. Because that's what I've been searching for, ringing myself out for, zigzagging the country for, a sense of my own worth. That's what we're all craving, the sense that we matter, that someone sees us, that we are loved and valued. And so some of us try to earn it. Some of us try to avoid the pain of unworthiness by escaping with drugs or shopping or sex or whatever. Some of us pretend to be perfect instead of admitting that behind the image we feel as small and unworthy as we ever have. The soul's worth, though, doesn't come from earning or proving. Image doesn't matter. Outrunning the emptiness doesn't work for long. Each soul, every soul, is worthy because God made every soul. And because of his love, his son came to earth and walked among us because God's love for us is so deep and wide and elaborate that he wants to be with us, to walk with us, to teach us how to live in that love and worthiness. I'll never listen to this song the same again. When he appeared, when he appeared, my soul felt its worth. Do you know how worthy you are? Do you know how full of worth, how valued you are by heaven? Enough that the prince of heaven would leave his princely surroundings and lay in a place that was smelly where the cows ate. He gave all of that up because your soul is worth so much to him.